Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Ant-Man, directed by Peyton Reed, and released in 2015. If you haven't seen Ant-Man yet, it's still at the cinemas, so if you don't want to be spoiled... Uh, Maybe come back to this podcast after you've seen it. The plot of Ant-Man goes something like this. Ex-con Scott Lang is recruited by reclusive millionaire scientist Dr. Hank Pym to steal technology from Pym's former company. I just picture Peyton Reed wearing like a jumper slung around his shoulders on a yacht. Doesn't he sound like he has a place in the Hamptons? He does. So does. (laughs) And I feel a bit like awkward just saying it's directed by Peyton Reed because obviously it's his name on the thing, but Edgar Wright's got so much... Had so much influence on this movie. He did. Spent so much time on it. But, it's it's you know. sort of, I can see little Edgar Wright bits in it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, his movies are usually less boring than this one was for me. I did not find it boring. I quite enjoyed it. And actually, the, the Edgar Wright bits were definitely the bits that got me through. There's obviously also a really big, like, structural problem in the Well, no, not, structural might not be the right word. I guess it's a sexism problem right in the middle of it. <laughs> And they d- deal with it in this really Moffaty way, by which I mean Stephen Moffaty way, by like calling out the fact that Evangeline Lilly's character is perfectly qualified to wear the wasp suit or the or the Ant Man suit and do the work and be the superhero, and then like coming up with a really stupid reason why she shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's it's kind of you know this ironic thing within the Marvel universe. Of course, they can't you know do anything about say anything about it in the movie but it was it just struck me as so ironic but I think my mm. bigger problem with it was not the fact that uh, that Hank wouldn't let her wear the suit but that A she didn't figure out why when everybody in the audience knew why and B she um, forgave him because of the most mansplainy car scene where Scott was like oh but you're his daughter and he wants to protect you and then she started crying and then after that, she goes in and he finally tells her the truth. And she's like, why didn't you just tell me earlier? And he's like, because I wanted to protect you. And she's like, okay. I'm like, really? Really? Mm. Like, you had every right to be angry up till this point, And you have every right to continue to be angry with him until he does better than that. Because yeah. I figured she'd already figured out what had happened. I had no idea that she hadn't figured out what had happened. And when I found out she hadn't figured out what would ha- what had happened, I was like, but that's just insulting the character at this point, because I really liked mm. Hope a lot. Yeah, me, I really, me too. I really so, identified with yeah. her a lot, and that's why I felt sorry for her. Yeah, and and the way she was treated. And I think the thing is that Marvel made it worse by having this stupid storyline, and they know they're doing the wrong thing, yeah. and they call it out. And even and then there's, and then finally in the post credit sequence, Hank finally stops being a giant dick bag and says, "Oh, maybe you should wear the wasp suit." And she goes, it's about damn time. And we're like, yeah, it was about damn time at the beginning of the third act. Yeah, and that's the thing is that it's it's very frustrating to watch it. But, but otherwise, we quite enjoyed the movie. It wouldn't have been as frustrated, frustrating if she had held on to her own frustration more, I think, for Yeah, me. she forgives him a little too easily. Yeah, exactly. And that, that scene in the car really irritated me. And it's one of the scenes that put me way offside of Scott. When he oh, sits okay. in the car and he's that. like, but it's the way that he talks to her like, how can you not know this? You're dumb. That really grated on my nerves. And then she's sitting there in the car and she's like, yeah, you're right. Okay. Frustrated me. I don't think it was meant to play that way, but it played that way okay. to me because he was like explaining things to her that I thought she already knew. Okay. And that's see, kind of where the I cognitive was... dissonance happened. Okay. See, I was okay with, um, yeah, 
I didn't mind that scene quite as much because I, up until that point, had just been going, yeah, literally, this man is such a dick that he would rather pull a random criminal off the street than let his own daughter carry on his legacy. Like, no, it but, just drove me nuts. But the thing is, I already knew the stuff that Scott said in the car. Yeah, but I didn't. So I wasn't, Oh, okay. Because yeah. I figured then Hope would know it too. Like, obviously, he picks up Scott off the street because he's expendable. Yeah, I didn't know that. I was like, no, he's just being a dick to her oh. because he that's how he operates. He'd rather no, have a man carry on his legacy than a guys woman. Who, guys who are dicks to their daughters in this way often think they're doing the right thing, which is why I assumed that he had, like, the protectiveness thing is what I assumed was going on. Right. Right? I assumed he felt protective towards her, therefore she couldn't have any decision, make any decisions right. in her yeah, life. Yeah, see, because... I just didn't see it from his perspective. I was just seeing it from her perspective. Well, that's the thing is that the movie kind of forces you to be in his perspective because that's what, I mean, the movie is just about, it's supposed to be about fathers and daughters, but it's really about fathers and then fathers writing what they think their daughters should do. <laughs> rather yeah. than. Um, although I guess the one thing that this, the movie does better than the comics is that Scott Lang's motivation isn't his sick daughter. In the in the comics, the motivation is that Cassie gets really sick, and and therefore he has to steal something in order to. I don't know. He's stealing a cure, or he's stealing money in order to pay for her treatment. Like mm. it's one of those, you know, fridging type situations. So I was glad that Cassie didn't have to get fridged, <laughs> even though Janet did. Cassie was terrific. Yes, Janet she was didn't wonderful. Even get cast, which is like I was just insulted by that. They couldn't even put an actress to her, and I know that so that they can have her later because they want to find like probably the right someone actress. famous. Yeah, but I'm like, why didn't you just have that earlier? Which makes me think that that part of the story wasn't in earlier drafts. Yeah, and that's a late addition to it, which is another major problem with this movie is that they clearly didn't pull it together until the very last minute. You watch the trailers for this and look at the posters and you have no idea what the tone of the movie is or what the movie is trying to say yeah. or anything. Um, and so watching the movie, for me, part of it was just – trying to settle into a tone. And for a long time at the beginning, I was like, the tone of this is just silly. <laughs> like yeah, um, nothing kind of landed, nothing kind of hit. It was just silly. Apart from Michael Pena, who by far steals this movie. I mean, he is terrific in it. Um, the The whole beginning section of the movie was just really like plotting for me. And really the concept of the Ant-Man suit is such a hard one to get across without it looking silly anyway. Yeah, well, I think I, that's part of why I actually liked is that what I actually liked is the like the humor and stuff actually helped me out. There was some bits though, like there's certain bits where you feel like Marvel has said you must put these scenes in, and then they've been sewn in, like um, Peggy Carter and Howard Stark at the beginning, and the, probably the bit with Wasp, probably also the bit with Anthony Mackie. But I felt like that lifted things a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, but also I, um, perhaps unlike you, I think I have this attachment to Paul Rudd that made me really like kind of, that carried me through the movie. I like Paul Rudd, but I think this movie completely misuses Paul Rudd because Paul Rudd is charming and funny and Scott Lang is not. I mean, he has funny moments, but he only has a few funny moments that feel really odd to me like when he interrupts the cheesy stupid father-daughter bonding scene mm. um, and a couple of other bits that were funny but then a lot of the time he's just sort of like blank or stoic or I something. I did not feel that at all. I, I did. I mean I felt like charming and delightful pretty much the whole way. Like that. 
But I like I like Paul Rudd. You know, I like mm. him in other things. I find him charming in other things. So I think that was just kind of but pr- pretty much the like character. the things that carry me through this movie were him, Evangeline Lilly, Bobby Cannavale, Michael Pena, and the little actress playing the daughter. Cassie was great. Yeah, I mean, obviously, poor Judy Greer has like a quite a thankless oh little part God. playing her mum. But I feel so bad for Judy Greer just in general at the moment after seeing Jurassic World a couple of weeks ago and then this. I mean, in Jurassic World, she has like, uh, you know, the second most thankless role after um, – Oh, Bryce after Dallas Howard. Yep. I was about to say Jessica Chastain and I stopped myself after Bryce Dallas Howard and just ahead of Katie McGrath, who like all three of them have the worst yep. roles, but she's like really in this minor role where she has two scenes and in one of them she's crying and about her kids and saying her sister has to have babies. And in this one, she's again, just a mother. Yeah. That's it. She has no other identifying qualities apart from mother mm. with nice hair. Where, uh, but then that whole storyline, like they I do like this gorgeous little, they do this, yeah, that was true. They do this very sweet little resolution between Bobby Cannavale as her stepfather and Paul Rudd's character. But which she doesn't is, get anything. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's like, it's absolutely beautiful and very sweet. But it's like Judy Greer's job is literally just the mother, the invisible one, the, yeah. like this sort of invisible labor type job which don't make, get me wrong Bobby Cannavale did a great job in this movie because he has to be um he just kind of a, an antagonist but also just likable enough and just funny enough mm. and also really put upon so he can't be good at his job because everything keeps going wrong for him and it's kind of a hard yeah he's being he a really to tough do. role and it actually resolves quite I think nicely mm. uh, the way they do that but then like and he's funny I actually thought um Paul Rudd was funnier with him <laughs> they were a good team. <laughs> like they, they, they did well together. And but then he was less funny with Michael Pena, almost because Michael Pena was so good. Michael Pena, yeah, he's so he's just wonderful in this movie and so funny. Just such a little scene stealer. I know, and I've never he's he I've never gotten to see him play a role like this. Mm. He's always played like stoic dudes who don't talk much in everything else that I've seen him in. And this one, he's a motor mouth. Yeah. And the best scenes by far for me in this movie were scenes where he tells stories to set up jobs. Mm. And then, and Paul Rudd is just like, just the relevant details. And Michael <laughs> Pena is like, okay. So I was with my cousin who met this other woman who was telling him about this other thing that somebody else had told her. And then all of the characters in his stories are voiced by him. Yeah. Yeah. But they like, they they're saying the, the words, words, but it's his voice that's coming out. And it is the funniest thing, especially because they're all talking the way that he talks as well uh-huh. and so he he's like he's got this kind of upmarket asian woman reporter who's going yo dog <laughs> <laughs> it's just great it's such good cognitive dissonance and then stan yeah. lee does a bit and michael Pena's voice comes out of his yeah. mouth and, and it oh, was it's fantastic. so funny no th- those were like the two funniest scenes of the whole thing but i was i found myself particularly i've seen it twice now um but the first time i saw it there was i really cracked up at some uh, quite a few bits but that, those two would definitely stand up. I think there were a couple of other bits I laughed at, but no, I didn't laugh a lot. And the thing is, I like heist movies. Mm. I found myself getting quite excited when the actual heist was going on, yep. just because I like heist movies, but I still think it wasn't very well put off. Like, if you're going to do a heist movie, do it a bit better than that. And also, <laughs> um, I don't like ants, so yeah, <laughs> that I, was I, a problem for me. I just, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, God, Katie's going to freak because there's all these CG ants everywhere. <laughs> See, the big ones bother me much less. Yeah. It's the little the little ones that bother me. Like yeah. when when they were training the ants to put sugar yeah, yeah, in yeah. tea, I was just like repulsed. 
ew. Yeah, I know. It is pretty gross. And the fire ants freaked me out and mm. things like that. But then, like, when he was flying on the big ant, mm. even though Anthony. I didn't – even though I didn't care about Anthony and, and you know, in that Aww. moment when he died, I was like, I laughed. Dude. I, I grew to care about him and his him and his mate, Anthony. Where's he like gets almost name? as much of a, as, you know, death and a send-off as Janet does. It's appalling. <laughs> but anyway. But, like, for some reason, the giant ones just don't bother me as much. Right. As, like, like, the little oh, I rem- ones. Oh, I've just remembered what I laughed at. It's partly the giant ant coming down the stairs at Bobby Cannavale. <laughs> Yeah, that and was partly funny. the um, enormous Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, like so the, the yeah, those that, bits where they they played with the humor of mm, like tiny things and big things. Yeah, and were funny stuff. Were quite funny, and I think actually the whole end once they get out of the um, science lab mm. building. Yep, that whole end sequence was pretty good. Oh yeah, there's a really great bit. That's what else that that also cracked me up when he and Corey Stoll's character get stuck in a briefcase falling out of a helicopter. And there's like a mobile phone in there, and he stands on it, and Siri comes on and says, "Hi, I'm going to yeah. play Destruction by no, 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 disintegrate because he goes, I'm going to disintegrate you, yeah. and it's like I'm going to play Destruction by the Cure, yeah, yeah that was <laughs> that cute. was fantastic, um, very cute, and again movie. playing with like little things and stuff, yeah, yeah. Corey Stoll, let's talk about Corey Stoll because what was he doing in this movie? He was trying really hard to be menacing, but he was not quite achieving it. I don't think. Well, the thing is. I mean, it was such a badly written villain. Marvel has real problems with villains in its first installments a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Red Skull. Hugo Weaving was just appalling as Red Skull. And Hugo Weaving's a good actor, you know, but he was, like, devouring scenery in a movie where that was not um, what you were going for. And then, you know, the first Iron Man movie had Jeff Bridges just kind of sleepwalking through the role as Obadiah Stone. Mm -hmm. And then this movie kind of follows in that exact pattern. There's a really big problem with telling, not showing with Corey Stoll's character, Darren Yeah, 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 yeah. He says all these things, yes. No, but not just that. Um, There's a moment when he's about to kill Hank. I was like, yeah, go for it. I don't care. Hank's a jerk. Um, And Evangeline Lilly's like, this is not who you are. And I'm like, we don't know that. No. As far as we know, he's always been a douche. Yeah, yeah. The second time we see him, he kills a guy for no good reason. Yeah, that's right. That was the thing that, that actually got to me as well. Because, like, why? It's not the chemicals. He is a dick. We've seen, he's a terrible person. But We've the thing seen is, this from he the may beginning. not have been before that. We, but we don't, don't know, know that. Yeah. But that's the thing is that we don't know what he's like without. The and the first time we see him, though, he's doing this presentation to buyers, and he's like, "This can, and and positive uses include industrial sabotage." Yeah. You're like, what? Yeah, that scene was really weird too, because you're like, it he's doesn't clearly evil, but it also doesn't seem positive. This is literally a pitch to supervillains, and yet nobody is calling him out on that except no. for this one guy. Really? Yeah. Like, it's so absurd. That's why I say it yeah. was silly. Like, it, it just, it, it, it uses, was so absurd. It's, it uses actually some of the Obadiah Stane stuff from the first Iron Man, actually, about weapons leading to freedom and stuff like that, which is a, a recurring theme of, um, of the Marvel Universe. But, but that was it, it done just, so much better. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't, it's not done right because we're just thrown straight into it. And like, anyone with half a brain is like, um, no weapons don't lead to freedom. We've watched the 10 preceding movies to this. And it's it's like a cartoon kind of villain. Yeah. You know, he's like he's like a, a kids show villain that just like 
oh, look, he's just evil right from the beginning and yeah. there's no layers and there's no depth. I mean, there were two times that he was genuinely menacing, I think, when he puts his sh- hand on people's shoulders oh, and leans yeah, in and that's yeah. super creepy and it works really well. And I don't – I've seen Corey Stoll. I watched The Strain, which is, he's the lead Yeah, in. so I know him from um, House of Cards. Okay. So I, I know him from The Strain, which he's the lead in, which obviously I watch because Kevin Durant is in it. Um, obviously. Kevin Durant is the best. He's the best. And so I've seen him, you know, play a good guy. And he has a charm that could have worked really well mm. if they had let him start out charming and then become menacing. Well, that's what but I – it seemed yeah. like they were trying to get him to mix charm and menace in every one of his scenes. Yep. Which is unfair to the actor, I think, because mm. he has no starting point. And so he, I think he was just trying his best to do something with like this terribly written character. Yeah, I no, mean it's just bad. Yeah, I, I've again, I've only seen him in um, House of Cards where he's he's like this sort of bumbling congressman, and he again though he has got like quite a bit of likability about him and charm, and so I don't know why they didn't start with that. Well, that's what I thought they were going to do when I heard he was the bad guy in yeah. this, like follow a kind of. Um, Obadiah type thing where like yeah, at yeah first where we it think he's like, friendly yeah yeah exactly but he doesn't he just starts bad and it doesn't work and like poor Hope is just in this job where she has to cozy up to him and he clearly has a crush on her and she's very uncomfortable and but yeah. she's got to portray all of that going on as well well that's... plus being angry with everybody and I also feel like she had kind of a thankless I mean everybody just well, seems she to was given yeah imagine Lily is really good at showing what she's thinking and. The thing is, her character, I think, would have been trying harder not to show what she was thinking. But she but was. But that's we needed the cartooniness. Yeah, of it. but we needed the cues from her, at, so that we could tell that she's standing there with her arms folded as he destroys a, a little lamb and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's the cartooniness of it. I think is that kind of she has to be showing everything. Yeah, but you're like, but he would see that she's clearly uncomfortable in this situation. But she was. I did think Evangeline Lilly was fantastic. I, I did too. I just really like her, and I really Me hope too. they give her a Wasp movie. I've liked her ever since uh, Lost. Yeah, um, I mean, where I, again, yeah. Kate was just so badly written and and just a different person every week, and yet she was so good as. Kate, mm. that like you still kind of cared about her in spite of the fact that yeah. they never seemed to know what they were doing with but, her. Yeah, I just I really hope we get her in in Civil so War pretty. and get her in her own movie if lucky, if we're lucky. Yeah, I mean I don't know that this is going to make enough money to make get any sequels, just because even Marvel seems to have disowned this movie. Well, they just had so many problems with it. And the thing is, you can look at this movie and pick out like five different characters who would be more interesting as a protagonist in their own movie than Scott Lang was in this. Well, see, I don't agree with that because I like him and I, I don't actually mind him being the protagonist, but he, um, there I mean, are like... Because of the straight white man problem of Marvel. Yeah. Like you could put in, you could put Hope in her own movie. She would be more interesting. Mm. Michael Pena could easily play somebody who would be much more. I mean, I would watch just a Luis movie where he talks for the whole movie, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So he could easily be somebody much more interesting as a protagonist. Give him the suit. Be hilarious. Um, oh my God. Can Yes. Can you imagine that would have been fantastic? Give he Cassie her own stealer. movie. Yeah. I mean, one day eventually they might do a Young Avengers movie. Yeah. But, you know, give Cassie her own movie. She was adorable and hilarious and, you know, snarky and, and but not precocious. No, she was great. Like that thing where he gives her the ugliest rabbit in the world as a present. She's like, it's so ugly. I love it. 
steps. Yeah, that's great. And like oh, in her tutu as well. Yeah, yeah. And she's tur- he's turned up to the party and he's like, I didn't know what time it's such. She's like, it was on the invitation. And Bobby kind of like, he didn't get one. And then she goes, she's like, I'm gonna tell mummy you're here. Mummy was so excited. She was it threw up in her drink, choked on, choked her drink. on her drink. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, oh, I'm man. waiting for a Falcon movie. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, I would watch Falcon do, but it was pretty he good was to so see cute. him turn up yes. as well. I, um, I would have liked maybe another Avenger to show up as well, but that bit kind of felt to me it lifted things a bit because yeah, it, it and was it getting a bit seem slow. Like it was added that, on, yeah, it does seem like it was added in, but it it was um it lifted things because mm. at that point we were getting a bit bogged down in the drama of Hank's a dick and hope we had to deal with it. Yeah, that we were getting bogged down in that drama and it kind of just gave us a bit of a break from that. Yeah, and also you know, bonus Anthony Mackie. Yeah. And bonus Anthony Mackie is always good for me. I mean, literally, when I found out that Falcon was in this movie, I was like, fine, I'll go see See, it. I didn't know at all that he was in it, so when he turned up, it was a complete surprise, although I had been spoiled for the post-credits. Thank you, Tumblr. I hadn't. I had no idea what the post-credits scene was going to be. And it was, I mean, it was very fan-girl-friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, very yeah. short. I mean, you know. But it was setting up, you know, Cap threesome. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we know we see that, that Cap and Falcon have found Bucky, which is lovely. Yes. And then, the, you know. The ex-boyfriend and the current boyfriend. Oh, <laughs> no. I just have this, like, I, I was, it does kind of, it, it tells you something that, like, that little scene, Sebastian Stan, again, says nothing and, and still kind of blows you away. But that t- little scene had more tension and drama in it than, like, pretty much the whole previous movie. Well, it, it I mean, it tells you something about the state of the Marvel Universe, that that's the bit that leaked. Yeah, yeah, I know. It it doesn't seem. It also seems like the movie was kind of fun enough to watch, but very forgettable. Yeah, I found that as well. Um, I mean, I've seen it twice now, and I'm still kind of, admittedly, I'm sick, but I'm struggling to kind of come up with. I enjoyed it enough. I had had fun watching it. I, I will go along and watch Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly do pretty much anything because I think they're adorable. But it is. I like when they beat each other up. Mm, that, that was really was cool. That whole scene. <laughs> there's like one thrown in shirtless scene <laughs> him repairing some injury. Yeah. God bless you, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yep. It's like but, they have it in the contract. Yeah. It just it never kind of really affected me or got me or anything. I mean, you know, he Corey Stoll goes to the house and, and kidnaps Cassie and I was like, they should I should feel something right now. I should feel fear or excitement or something. I felt something. When Bobby Cannavale came in and says, get behind me. Yeah, that was cute. That, I felt something. Yeah. But that's the thing is that, like, there's no kind of, you have no tension at all over Corey still, like, mm-hmm. kidnapping a tiny child. <laughs> no. I mean, there isn't any kind of, there's no threat, there's no tension, there's no, like, even Age of Ultron at the climax, it was, like, it was scary. There was a city in the sky, you mm. know, like, it was really intense. Yeah. And they, there's easy ways to make this much more intense on a micro level with his family. It's, well, the, she's the a best, little girl, it should be scary. The best battle between the two of them was actually the Thomas the Tank Engine battle because it was just the two of them. And when it's just the two of them in the suits, Corey Stoll's suit has an advantage because it has the shooty things. So whenever it was just the two guys fighting, those battle, those little battles were a lot more tense than that final one where – you don't actually I was think. much more tense on the helicopter when he's yeah, just, yeah. Like, shooting everywhere and I'm like mm. what the hell is wrong with you yeah he killed like, his he pilot completely lost yeah. the plot yeah and has no kind of I mean he reminded me of um the reavers from Fi- mm. from firefly you know like they fly without containment and they they just their whole world is just attack yeah that's kind of what it reminded me of but there's no kind of build to that point so well, you're like where did this yeah, come and, and from we also that he's get so that, suicidal that interesting thing 
where the sort of charming versus the pure evil bit that the tension thing that we they never quite resolve where when he gets into Cassie's room and she's like, Are you a monster? And he's like, Do I look like a monster? And then it sort of moves on from there. He he's got that that's him his sort of charm. He's like, he doesn't think he looks like a monster because he's too busy he he's supposed to be charming in that scene. Yeah. Um speaking of Peyton Reed, I actually think the cutting in this movie, I don't know whether that's him or the editing, was really awkward. Um, and that's one of the um, the examples of that because that scene could have built tension just by having the two of them talk for a bit. Yeah. And Cassie, the little girl who played Cassie, was clearly up for it. Yeah, and immediately instead they have her yell, I want my daddy, instead yeah. of going, yes, you do look like a monster. That would have been really interesting, that conversation, if they'd kept going. Yeah, and it could have really been – and, like, you take out the music, you just have the two of them talking for a while mm. and him kind of building on that charm and that also the um, the menace for a little bit longer – could have made a good scene. Yeah. Oh, but this, I just remembered also there's the scene where Gott and Darren are fighting in a, the garden of somebody's house. Yep. And uh, Bobby Cannavale rocks up to arrest them. And Scott stands up and the first thing he does is take the goddamn helmet off and be like, oh, it's me. Now there's nobody in the world that Bobby Cannavale wants to arrest more than Scott <laughs> Lang. Like, literally, he is public enemy number one to Bobby Cannavale, who's watched him escape from prison and who, you know, is trying to be protective of his stepdaughter, right? Like, this is the worst possible thing you could do at this moment. Is Scott supposed to be that stupid? (laughs) I don't know. I think he just wants to – he's conscious that – Nobody can see his face in the suit and he wants to make sure everyone sees his charming little face. and run, idiot. (laughs) I don't know why he doesn't shrink at that point either. That seems very silly. He takes the helmet off instead of shrinking and running. Why? I think he's they're trying to get this sort of – I think that's the sort of trying to do the right thing aspect of his character. See, I just thought it was so that they could get to the next plot point. Well, I mean, probably. But it's also that – it He's felt to me very much like it was just writing to get them to the next yeah. place they needed to go to. So desperately trying to get to the um, – yeah, I think it was, he's just always like kind of desperately trying to do the right thing as opposed to um, but being that devious. But when the right thing conflicts that much, you know, when the right thing is that stupid to do, you don't do it. I don't know. I, it is very silly. And, and yeah, it's just so that he can get in the car. Yeah. Really. It's so that he can get in the car and hear about Cassie being kidnapped. That's the yeah. only reason that that happens. And that's another, like, awkward writing, bad writing bit. Yeah. Um, and, and the other awkward cutting thing was I thought, again, that scene in the car, which I think is, like, clearly my least favorite scene in the whole movie, <laughs> um, kept cutting between them at really weird moments. Okay. Like, it didn't hold on anybody's face for more than a couple of seconds at a time. And then it would cut to somebody else in the middle of a sentence and then they'd start speaking a sentence and it would cut to the other person and cut back to them before they finished the sentence and then cut back to the other person's reaction. And it was too fast and it was too um, – it was it was actually genuinely disorienting for me. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't know whether, like, they maybe changed some of the dialogue in that scene and that's why they did it because there was these weird cuts in that scene. I, I can't remember that. All I can remember is the cuts back to him trying to get his helmet on. That was the sort of main – not that to, car scene. Oh. The car scene where Paul Rudd talks to Evangeline Lilly oh, and that explains to oh, her about that car scene. Okay, yeah. right. We're going we're back to that now. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yes. That's to me that is the car scene in the movie. I forgot that we were just talking about another car. Because <laughs> like, right. in my head there is like the car scene. I feel so like it just pisses me off. There's, there's even a photo of Janet in the house where she's got this big hat on. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, so she's not being cast. I know. It's really bad. I just it's it's a, it's like offensive you know it's icky it really 
bothered me that she's this character who had this major, major impact through only her death. Like, this is the ultimate problem with fridging, right? This is the ultimate fridging, is that a female character who never even gets a face or a line is killed off to further Hank Pym's storyline and then, you know, her daughter's as well, but much more than that, Hank's. Yeah, and a character who's so um, – he's a founder of the Avengers. And named the Avengers yeah. and is important to the story. Mm. It, it's just ugh, unpleasant. And I get that old comic Janet wasn't really well written, but why not rewrite her? I'm sure they could – even if they only wanted her for two scenes, I'm sure they could get some well-known actress to come in and do it. Yeah. Like, why didn't they make just a little more effort with her? Yeah, exactly. Um, and Kevin Feige recently said something about how the women in Marvel movies are all strong and they're not damsels in distress. And you're like, yeah, but you can't have one strong woman in every movie. Kevin Feige is a moffeter of the finest or the highest order. He's he's as bad as Moffat on that stuff. And that this this is why I was talking earlier about it. it I was talking about it being like something Stephen Moffat would do, but it is something that Feige has had has started doing lately as well, where he he just he knows that there are problems. He knows what is wrong. He knows what they're doing wrong and he believes for whatever reason that he can't or won't fix it. And so what he does is starts calling it out and, and treat and kind of it, what it feels like is contemptuous towards the audience mm. where he just it, – it's got to the point where they know that they're doing this wrong and they just call it out and then do nothing about it. No, but he doesn't call it out and he's, he's the master of doublespeak. Anybody asks him a question at any time and he has this amazing ability not to answer it. And it's very frustrating. But he did. He said, like, the women in our movies are strong and they're not damsels in distress. And you're like, well, I mean, occasionally they are. The ones who but survive. Also, yeah, the ones who survive. But also you can't put one woman in each movie and say we have strong female characters. And, like, no. and they are all different and they are all great. Well, I like the I women mean, in these movies. But you can't just have a female, like, a love interest in each movie and be like, okay, we're done. Because all the – because, I mean, this movie only passes the best shell test if you count the conversation between mother and daughter. No, that doesn't count and because I don't, they're talking about the, her dad. They're yeah. about Scott. Exactly. So, you can't – like, there's one woman, basically, one little girl who have anything to do. And then all the others, like, there's a whole gang of people – could like why couldn't there be another girl amongst those guys? Why couldn't one of the policemen be? Why why couldn't Bobby Cannavale's police partner be a woman? Like why why couldn't one of the other one of three the other people the ga- that like, they yeah, used to make the tech person a woman or yeah. make the um you know make the drive getaway driver a woman? Like why couldn't that be the I case? I know the other two criminals were pretty forgettable. One of them had a bad accent mm. and the other one was black. This movie also kind of has a black people problem um, because they're either all they're all criminals or yeah, Anthony Mackie. Yeah, that's right. Or or, um, or, the, cop or the cop partner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So have, they're all very. Oh, minor. I think has no lines. Yeah, well, I think he does. And again, talk. but they do again. They do that like uh, they know that they're doing the wrong thing and they call it out, but then they don't do anything about it. Um, Ti's character is like, no, there was another black guy who looked just like me who was who did this to us. At, to the cops mm. when they're being arrested, like they know they're not doing the right thing there either. Yeah, yeah. There was, and then there's a guy at the beginning who Scott's having the fight with Peaches in prison. Oh, in, in prison. Well, yeah. Um, and then so they'll, they'll they'll be like, oh, that's realistic. Lots of black guys are in prison. Yeah, we know that's probably not the way it should be. But there's so there's two criminals, the cop partner and Anthony Mackie, and I think that's it. And I tell you what else I noticed on my second view. Oh, and the family that they crash into the pool yeah. of, which is like that. That's kind of good I guess in that like just an ordinary family backyard and they happen to be black like that's okay that's fine whatever but um there's I, I noticed also this is uh at Pimtech there's a room full of scientists and on my second go through I count tried to count the women and there's maybe like 
30 people in the room, maybe four women, including Evangeline Lilly, mm-hmm. among that, that group of scientists. Again, just like, you know, you don't even have to do anything. You just change the ratio of your background characters. And even Evangeline Lilly gets that... Um doesn't get to be the special but has to train the special thing yeah that is so frustrating and such a bad trope in movies uh, yeah and, and 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 which i have named after the lego movie yeah and but also that first scene where she's the there's other women in the company surely she's the only woman there with the buyers on that day like really there's the buyers can't have a woman in their team like there's no women supervillain. yeah this is the stuff they're making fun of in agent carter guys yeah like, yeah exactly you're doing this on another show and you're you're specifically doing it to show how sexist it used to be now it's it is exactly like the 70 same. years you talk later. about any of the sexism in that yeah i mean i'm not, never going to complain about Haley atwell being in a movie more like she was in this movie t- for two seconds, and I was like, "I love you." Like, well, it, it kind but, of gets gets you off on the right note because you're like, "Yay, Agent Carter is here!" Yeah, and it is and interesting starts, actually because you kind of get a glimpse into Peggy's future and see the kind of the people she's working with and mm. how does Hydra get its foot in is you know a question about that sort of thing yeah. and and who are the people you know, she's dealing with Howard who's always been a bit different and also the, I know that that they originally had um. What's his name? Silver Fox play. Martin Donovan? Do you mean? No, no, oh, no. Oh, oh, How- Slattery. John yeah. Slattery, yeah. That's, is that his real name? The actor who plays Howard, old Howard Stark? Yeah. Yeah, that's John oh, Slattery. Oh, okay. I thought that was the name of his character on Mad Men. No, his, his character on Mad Men is Roger Sterling. Okay. John Slattery played Howard originally in the first Iron Man movie, so I can see the why. the second, I think. So you can see why they brought him back. Yeah. But he and Dominic Cooper could not look less alike. There are also, there's apparently also like a three-inch height difference. And there's an <laughs> accent difference. Yeah. So it, there's just a huge cognitive dissonance going from watching Agent Carter with Dominic Cooper on yeah, it to, to watching this with John, John Slattery. Slattery. I mean, they're both, you know, good-looking guys and good actors in their own right, but they couldn't be less alike. John Slattery, to me, is actually a good Howard Stark. He gets the accent right, and I think that actually probably is more like you know, how, how he, he's meant to sound, but obviously they needed a young one and so Don, Dominic Cooper fills that role. See, I think Dominic Cooper, they, they do different things with Howard. Dominic Cooper is much better at, at portraying... The skeezy like, bit? Not just the skeezy bit, but the double-edged sword of him being like charming yeah, yeah. skeezy. Whereas, like, whereas John Slattery is a lot more charming charming. Yeah, exactly. So you, you need to have somebody who's a little bit edgier than John Slattery is. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I think if I haven't seen a lot of Mad Men, but I understand that he's he's a bit more edgy than that. But yeah, yeah. but from what we've seen in the movies, he is. Yeah, his Howard Stark is not at all edgy. No, he's exactly. The, he's public facing Howard Stark. But even sure. in that in that scene, he wasn't like like wh- that line that he delivered where he says, um, "When after um, Martin Donovan get, gets punched, is he Australian, by the way?" Um, I don't think so. I but think I'll I'm mixing check. him up with somebody else. I think you're mixing him up with um that guy from Neighbours. <laughs> this that's not very helpful to anybody. So he when when he gets his his punchable face punched by Hank Pym. No, Martin Donovan's not Australian okay. or, or English. I didn't think despite he was. his sort of English sounding name. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm mixing him up with someone. Um, but when he gets punched, and then there's a line that Howard says that's like a line that you would assume Howard from the show would say, mm. but it's not delivered with anywhere near the same conviction or humor. <laughs> Menace, yeah. The edge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's not it doesn't play as well as it would have played coming from Dominic Cooper's mouth. Right. Um and I can't remember what it is that he said you you said you did say something or other or something like that. But it would have been memorable if he had said it, I feel mm-hmm. like. Rather than and it's weird. It's just a weird kind of mix of actors that don't work at all. Um I, I just yeah, that scene was a bit like it was it was cool and all, but it was also kind of um 
superfluous. It didn't quite fit right. Yeah, yeah, it was it was superfluous. It was we've got to make sure we link this to the rest of the of the universe, much like the Anthony Mackie scene. As much as I'm never ever going to say no to an Anthony Mackie scene. No, the Anthony Mackie scene actually served a purpose for me, which was to show what Scott Lang could do could actually do in a combat situation. Because mm-hmm. up until that point, we hadn't seen that. Yeah, but you it's get to a proper show one-on-one what, fight. Yeah, and it's to show what he can do in a combat situation where there's no, like, death stakes involved. No. Because you know that Falcon wouldn't kill him. So you've got that kind of they can fight and it can be fun and you can get to see what Yep. Stuff he can do, and it sets some stuff up for later. By the way, this movie was so obvious in its Chekhov's various things, like the Chekhov's quantum zone and stuff like that, you know, like Phantom Zone or whatever it is, where, like, at the beginning of the movie, he talks about shrinking until you're nothing. Oh, yeah. And then yeah, Wasp yeah, yeah, shrinks yeah, yeah, until yeah, she's yeah. nothing. And then he does And then yeah. he, because you're like, yes, yeah, we, we know that was going. I mean, there's a couple of other bits, like the tank key ring as well. Felt yep. very um, anvily to me because when I first saw it, I was like, "Well, oh. that's a weird thing for a guy who does who's like disowned the military to have." Yeah, yeah. and and also the biggest problem that I had with the pre- the the pre credit scene was that it introduces us to the wrong character first. We should always be introduced to our hero rather than our secondary lead first. Yeah, that made it seem like Hank was going to be the main character, not Scott. And that's a really big problem narratively and in storytelling is that you shouldn't do that. Right. Like having very minor characters in the first scene is not such an issue. But if it's going to be somebody who's in the whole like rest the secondary of the movie, major yeah. character, yeah. That's a mm. – yeah. And, and and the movie was kind of full of those bits. It was just – Yeah. I didn't really – I mean, I did enjoy parts of it. But I definitely think this is tied with Thor 2 for me for the weakest Marvel movie. I think it's tied probably with – um. Thor 1 and the first Captain America for me is the weak Marvel movie, but God, I love the first Captain America. I don't get it. It's so pretty. It's, it's just so not. pretty. You should watch it again now that you like Peggy. And now that I have a thing for Cap. Exactly. You should yeah. re-watch it and see if you like it more. Yeah, maybe I should. Because it isn't like it isn't a bad movie. I know that Hugo Weaving is genuinely painful in it. Yeah, it just seems to drag a bit. It's not that it's a bad movie. It just and that, but this is the thing. I don't think this is a bad movie either. It just it just isn't quite you know to the standard that we're used to. To be honest, if I saw this movie and it was any other, like if I didn't know any of the other movies and and I hadn't had any attachment to any of the characters and stuff, I don't know how much I would have enjoyed. Like I probably wouldn't have even enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, I think you it 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 is um it's going to be I think a bit of a neglected one going forward. I don't think it's going to be very memorable as part of the Marvel canon. And I do It'd think it'd be nice to have Paul Rudd he's in Civil War and in the Avengers and stuff. I think that would be cool and Wasp of course. Yeah, I think he would make a better part of an ensemble than yeah. a lead on his own. Yeah. I'd like a Wasp movie only because there's just so few women movie, women-led women Marvel movies that maybe we should have one. Well, also because um, Evangeline Lilly totally deserves to be a superhero. I mean, yeah. she's great. But, yeah, he, he might be better off just sort of as a side character among the other Avengers. Yeah. And she's so luminous when she smiles and she gets to smile so rarely in this movie that it, mm. I actually thought that worked really well. <laughs> that yeah, every time her, she smiles, it just, like, softens everything. And, and makes she's it, the one with the interesting backstory. Like, exactly. Scott, Scott Lang's gone to prison because he was a good guy whistleblower, like, you know. Yeah, and then he stole from them. Whereas she's, yeah, because he was a good guy whistleblower. Yeah. Um, who stole, like, he's, you know, an Edward Snowden type figure. Oh, I was um, thinking he was a, you know, modern Robin Hood type figure. Oh, well, that too. Yeah, that works too. 
the kind, you know what I mean, like the kind of person who does good by doing bad. Yeah. But, yeah. And that kind of stuff is actually really interesting to examine because, of course, that's what CAP2 is all about, is the inf- military industrial complex and police states and things like that and doing the right thing instead of what's the law and all that sort of that th- those sort of questions are really interesting, but it, this movie doesn't actually make it make anything of them. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Hope Cap Van Dyne about stuff. Hope Van Dyne has a really interesting emotional story. Yeah, that I think would be worth exploring in its own movie. And she's going to have like emerging from her father's shadow things to do. Yeah, that's and- what I mean. Like that family background with that that horrible a dad and all that sort of stuff. Like. I was really railing against the Michael Douglas casting when I first He's, heard about it's this right, movie. right, though, isn't it? It is, because I so dislike him just on sight mm. that I'm like, yeah, that works. See, I've I've actually liked Michael Douglas in the past. I think he's a good actor. But he's he's so right for this role. Like, Hank is a dick. And it works. It's good actor. I should character. clarify, I haven't liked him since about the 90s. The stuff that he did before then, I didn't mind. And then, mm. like, more recent stuff. I mean, behind the candelabra and his... The way he behaved in the in the yeah I haven't I haven't um, really seen anything for, uh, yeah I'm talking about like around 2000 around the time of Wonder Boys I really enjoyed that movie Wonder Boys is interesting because I really enjoyed it too and now it's like now it's another one of those like, nowadays you look back and you're like ew if they made that now we'd be mad about it <laughs> yeah it shows you the difference good writing can make I guess that was you know I was 18 at the time it's not it's ages ago I think Ant Man more than any of the other movies I've seen from Marvel highlights the real problems Marvel is having with minorities and how much they need a non-white lead and we're still not going to get one until non-white males yeah Yeah. a non-white male lead and we're still not going to get one until um Black Panther in 2017 yeah I thought it was pushed back to 18 no so Black Panther got to move forward for Spider-Man um and Carol got pushed back for Spider-Man right so we're not I mean I know it's 18 movies before we get Captain Marvel because I've been and citing similar, that at people lately, similar where they're number like, before we get it's it's probably like two less than that before we get Black Panther, and even that still is is two years away now and doesn't have a director attached. Yeah, it's appalling. It's just and the fact that we're getting a Spider-Man movie as well, plus sequels, yeah. plus another team, more team movies where there's like one maybe two women on each team. Yeah, like it's do better. Yeah, and and Ant Man like in and of itself is is you know, an enjoyable movie, but that's not the point. The point is what it and also Spider-Man now represents. Yeah, and I just think, I think part of my disappointment with with Scott Lang is that he is such like a milquetoast lead. Like he's not inherently fascinating. I mean, the thing about somebody like Tony is that, I mean, whether you like him or not, he's pretty inherently interesting. He has a lot going on. The stuff that's going on with Scott is so the same thing that a lot of other heroes in a lot of other movies have to go through. Well, th- and even the stuff that makes him different, they don't put enough effort into to really make him feel yeah. like a different kind of uh, person. And, and the thing is, we know more about Hope's background than we do about his. We learn more about Hope's background. Than see, I would be fascinated his. to see him, you know, with like a teardrop tattoo next to his eye and like like tattoos that he got in prison and like right. looking like an ex-con and having to deal with all this stuff. He looks like Paul Rudd. Yeah, he's, also, he's like this nice middle-class man who accidentally went to jail for being a good guy. The cons in this movie wear button-up shirts and nice jeans. Like, they, you know, Michael Pena particularly, I think he's dressed like a hipster. But he's, like, kind of an interesting one. Well, he he seems like he is genuinely a hipster because he's on wine tastings and he's interested in art and things like that. So he's a kind of just a, a... 
quirky kind of guy. And he, he he went to jail for stealing two, what was it, two soda machines or something like that? Slushy machines? Yeah. So, I mean, he's just kind of doing his own little weird thing. But Paul Rudd, if they had really been, you know, trying to sell the ex-con angle, they could have done it better. And he could have delivered it better. He's a capable actor. So I can only imagine that they made, they told him to be that boring. That's what they wanted. This is the guy they wanted. He's not an interesting lead. Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk would be a more interesting lead for a movie. Mm. If you want to make a movie about a white guy, make one about him. Just I mean, not don't, interesting. But yeah, <laughs> they did, obviously, because they made this. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I don't hate it completely, so I'm giving it three stars. What are you doing? <laughs> Ironically, I also originally, I mean, I, I'm tossing up between two and a half and three stars. I was going to gonna... Gonna go three and a half, but now I'm like too mad. Yeah, I think I'm going to drop it to two and a half just because, like, I don't even know if it's worth that, but I'm, it's a do better Marvel two and a half stars. Yeah, fair enough. Are we ready to wrap up? Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you'd like to find our show notes or find or old episodes, you can do that on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of Ant-Man or any of the other movies she's watched, you can find them on her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we are on Facebook, search for Silver Screen Queens. We're on Twitter at screen underscore queens and we're on Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Um, and if you would like to support the show, please remember to rate or review us on iTunes. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs>